How's everybody doing? Doing okay? Good. It is good to see you. Uh, can, I, can I just take a second to tell you this? Um, I'm thankful for you. I am very thankful for College Heights and for my church family. I'm thankful that I get to be part of this community, this family, in a world that's increasingly set up for isolation. I am very thankful that I come here and I get to see you. I get to see your face. I get to hear from you. And I know there's some of you that I don't know, and there's some of you that I do. Regardless, I'm thankful uh, for Jesus, ultimately, that he bonds us together and that I have family here. So thank you. Um, and, and I want to talk to you today about the church. I want, to, I want to just keep on talking about this thing I'm so thankful for, the church. We've been in a series uh, for the past several weeks called Multiply, because we believe that we are called to be disciples who make disciples. We believe that there is a calling on each individual in this room that if you, are, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, you bring other people into following Christ. We've been talking a lot about our responsibility, our hearts, our local context, and how we are called to multiply. I want to uh, lift our eyes up a little bit today, and I want to talk about the global church. How Jesus has created a family that spans the entire globe, and I want to talk to you today about why you should care about it. But I can hear what you're saying. You're like, I'm just starting to get on board for this whole like multiplying thing. Now I have to care about the global church. I have to care about the entire world, Taylor. I have, I have a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 6.30, whatever it may be. I have three kids and a mortgage. I have schooling and two part-time jobs when I'm not in class and then schoolwork at night. I have, uh, I, I have a marriage that is struggling. And it's taking most of my emotional energy just to keep it intact. I'm sick. Someone I love is sick. It takes a lot of our energy to navigate that. Or I volunteer here. Like I already give a lot of time to College Heights and now I need to care about the global church too. I can understand. Can I say something to you? Maybe the preacher shouldn't say. I get it. Really. Really. <laughs> I understand. My wife and I, three, oh, I said I wouldn't mention my wife last sermon, and uh, I'm going to stop that sentence mid-sentence. I'm not even going to talk about her. Don't even think about her. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I use her as an analogy far too often. So, um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, she is. She is. She's a very good woman. Very out of my league, but I'm spiritual on my own. Um, so, anyway. I get it. I get the, uh, the distractions. I get the things that are on your shoulders and on my shoulders. And now we need to care about the global church. Well, here is the only answer I have for that. I don't have three easy steps for you to develop a heart to care about the global church. Here's what I have for you today. The more that you and I surrender our hearts and align our lives with Jesus Christ, the more we care about what he cares about. 
the more we submit to him in ever-increasing measure, while yes, there are real-life things surrounding us, the more we surrender and submit them to Jesus, the more passionate we become about the things he's passionate about, and the more we become kingdom-minded. So what I want to talk to you about today is how Jesus redefines and redirects our priorities. Before I talk about the global church, I want to talk about us and how Jesus wants to take your heart and your attention and your concerns and redirect and redefine them and change your priorities. The first priority Jesus gets hold of and drastically changes is the priority of family. Now, I am not just talking to married folk in the room. I am talking to anyone in the room who has a family in any way. Mothers, fathers, children, grandparents, spouses. One of the first concerns in all of our hearts is the concern about our family. It takes our priority. We arrange our schedules around it. We give it our creative energy. It's where we live in the closest community. Our family is our greatest priority. But guess what? Jesus gets a hold of that priority and redefines and reshapes it in a way that I think will surprise you. Let's look at this passage. You can bring this up in Mark. Mark chapter 3, 31 through 35. Then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived. Jesus is sitting in someone's house chatting with them. Then his mother and his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, "Um, Sir, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus responds in a surprising way. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines what family is all about and who is in your family. There's another passage where a man comes to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Can I just go bury my father first? And if I were Jesus, I would say, of course, that's the right thing to do. But Jesus goes, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Jesus one time says, unless you hate your father and mother, you have, no, uh, you have no way to follow me. Jesus says some really offensive things about family that are hard to wrap our minds around, that make me feel uneasy. Now, if anyone's sitting here going, I'm supposed to hate my, what is this cult that I just became a part of? We could unpack that passage in, in another sermon sometime. You don't need to worry. You don't need to hate your, your family. But... Jesus is saying a very drastic thing that would have been very offensive to this uh, Jewish audience that really upheld the family. Jesus is saying, guess what? I am creating a new family. I am creating a new body for you to be part of. Jesus is not devaluing the family. Don't hear me say that. Jesus is not saying the family's not important. The family is just as important as it ever has been, but Jesus is raising something up all the more. And it's you, and it's me, and you, College Heights. You are my grandmothers and my grandfathers. You are my mothers and fathers. You are my brothers and sisters. Your children are my children. My girls are yours. 
We are the family of God. And it transcends. The family of God is thicker than blood. We are the family. I, I, I found uh, two men who've studied this more thoroughly than I. The first one is Charles E. Moore, and he says this. While Jesus, while he never denied the family's worth as a creation of God, Jesus doesn't say the family is not worthwhile. He did make it clear that its importance is not absolute. It is not the primary means by which God's grace is transmitted to this broken world. Something else is. Rodney Clapp says this. It is through a new family, born again of the Spirit, that God's kingdom breaks into our world. We are the family of God, and this is how the grace of God is transmitted into the world. We are the conduit of God's grace. We are the family. And so I do not protect my family from your demands. I do not give my family all my energy and you my leftovers. I take my family, my children, my spouse, and I embed it into this family. And we are the family of God. So, we can say, oh, what does Jesus want me to care about now? Look, I have these kids. I have this. If your family is separating you from the family of God, then you have, re- then you have wrongly ordered your priorities. Your family, your blood family, plays a role in the spirit family, the family of God. The second thing, the second priority Jesus reorders, redefines, is our tasks. That sounds like a, a small word, but what, what a, a, a hold that little word has on our lives. The to-do list, the work, the accomplishments we need to get done by the end of the day. Oh, man, I like the to-do list. And oh, man, do I not like to get interrupted in accomplishing my to-do list. Jesus redefines our tasks. There's a story in Scripture. He, uh, he is dear friends with a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, they are some of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus would visit them on, it, on occasion. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story. Jesus goes to visit them, and one sister, Martha, busies herself being a good uh, um, host. She, she makes the dinner. She cleans up the dinner. She does the dishes. She... Uh, uh, Make sure the foot washing basin is full of clean water because that was a thing back then, I guess. She's just busying herself being a good host, which, by the way, we give Martha a bad rap. If you know where the story's going, you're like, Martha, you just need to abide in your Savior. Martha was doing what was good. Remember, women weren't supposed to just hang out with men in this traditional culture. She was being a good host to Jesus. Let me take care of all the work so you can rest here, Jesus. Let's not give Martha a bad rap yet. And then there's Mary. Mary, her sister, just sits at Jesus' feet. Just sits there. And Mary, oh man. All right, I'm going to talk about my wife. When we first got married, I would travel and speak, and I would come back and just be like, 
I have been doing the Lord's work. It is time for me to lay down on the couch. <laughs> and it took me about one speaking engagement to realize that Shaylee was ready for me to begin doing the Lord's work. <laughs> the dishes. And so I now know the look you get when someone's doing the dishes and you're not. And you're like, I think I'm supposed to be doing more right now. That's the look Martha's given. What are you doing, man? She comes into Jesus and she says this. Um, forgive me, I need to find my spot. Oh, in the book of Luke. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm about to spoil the ending. She comes in and she says, Lord, can you tell Mary to stand up and do what she should be doing to pay you the proper respect you deserve, Jesus, to be the good uh, host that she should be? And then, forgive me, Jesus says this in the book of Luke. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The tasks Martha was doing, were doing, was good. But Jesus redefines our priorities. We as Americans in 2020 are obsessed with our work. Our identity is rooted in it, in our job titles, in our careers, in our accomplishments, but we're also enslaved to it. I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to uh, free up my schedule. I have no idea how I'm just going to do less work. I mean, there's ex expectations, there's deadlines, my coworkers, my boss. I, I, I don't know how you want me to just do less work all of a sudden, Taylor. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something very frank. If you are enslaved to something, it is usually a pretty good indicator that it is what you are worshiping. If you cannot control something in your life, then it means it has become your idol. And I have been guilty of this. And so if you shrug your shoulders and say, well, there's just work to be done. I, I can't free up my schedule. I can't help it. Well, then it's, you're enslaved to it. And it probably means it is your master. And Jesus redefines your priority, calls you out of making work your idol, and says, come just abide in my presence. Come rest at my feet. That is the best thing. Moving on. The third thing that Jesus redefines, reprioritizes, is just general concerns. The business of life. Listen, we need food on the table. We got to get out of debt. We got to pay the bills. We need a food, or we need a roof over our head. We need a car. We, we just need stuff, Taylor. So, I mean, we need to be realistic, right, about how much we can care about. Well, let's look at what Jesus says. In his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. <laughs> okay, okay, Jesus, why don't you just take it easy? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. The most impractical verse in all the Bible, spoken by Jesus. Don't worry about where your food's going to come from. Don't worry about your clothes. 
Don't worry about all that. People who don't believe in a God worry about that. You're people who believe in a creator who is good, by the way, and a provider. So if he already knows you need all that, how about you redirect all that attention from just the business of life to the business of the kingdom? The concerns of how do I just survive here to how do I expand that? Because your father knows what you need. You'll get all those things. Let's get down to the kingdom work. It's very impractical. And it terrifies me. So all I got for you is this. Just try it. Just try it. To reorder your heart and your thoughts and your attention and your plans to being about the kingdom of God and just see how he provides. See what he can do. So Jesus redefines and redirects our priorities. And caring about the global church requires that. Requires Jesus to get into our hearts and make it about the kingdom. I can sum up everything I've said thus far like this. Jesus takes all human priorities and redefines them as living within and expanding the kingdom of God. In other words, all the things you think are important in life, Jesus says, come here, let me give you new priorities. Now your main priority is this, to be within the kingdom of God and to expand it, to multiply it. So here's what I want to do. I want to, now that we know that Jesus reshapes our priorities, I want to look at one man in Scripture who had that happen to him, who had all his priorities reshaped and redefined. His name is Barnabas. I'm not going to read a passage to you about Barnabas. I'm just going to give you some bullet point truths about him, and the references are beside. First, Barnabas um, was nicknamed the Son of Encouragement. Barnabas wasn't his actual name. It was a nickname because something about this guy was so encouraging that they just said, let's call him son of encouragement. Colby, I'm going to start calling you Barnabas from now on. From here on out, Colby is Barnabas. Can we, you're an encouraging guy, the son of encouragement. If anybody calls him Colby from here on out, um, you're, you need to go, leave. <laughs> I just want to embarrass Colby a little bit. Son of encouragement. Can you imagine being getting, given that nickname because of how encouraging and loving and active you are? That was Barnabas. Barnabas comes onto the scene after the death and resurrection of Jesus, but he's hanging out with the apostles. He is very active in expanding the kingdom of God. So then we see Barnabas in Acts 4, 37, have his understanding of his possessions get redefined. Barnabas has a field. He sells the field and gives all the proceeds to the church. That's insane. That is a a revenue stream for him and his family. He sells it, and then he doesn't even keep that money. He gives it to the kingdom. He realizes, oh, all my earthly possessions are only resources for me to advance the kingdom of God. So his idea of possessions and resources is redefined. Secondly, he becomes a, a supporter um, and I'm sorry, I'm miss, I think I might be missing a slide, forgive me. But he took Paul under his wing. And you can find that in Acts 9, 26 through 30. Barnabas uh, takes the legendary Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, who is responsible for the church expanding, and takes him under his wing. 
You can almost read into the passage and see Barnabas as a mentor. He speaks on behalf of Paul. He sets Paul up to win. So he's had his idea of what his belongings are get redefined. And now he is starting to support people who are expanding the kingdom of God. But then he goes one step further. We can pull that up. He became a missionary himself in Acts 13. We see Barnabas actually go and do the work. So let me sum up Barnabas for you. We're we're headed somewhere here. Stick with me. Barnabas went through three kinds of transformation. First, he developed a sent mindset. I want to define this very clearly for us today. Barnabas went from, I think I believe in Jesus, I think I believe in the death and resurrection, to him then looking at what he had and saying, oh, I'm responsible for multiplying. What do I have? And he woke up in the morning ready to be sent into action. Now, not physically sent anywhere yet. I'm not talking about physically sent off to another land. I am saying he woke up and left his home sent into a mission with the resources he had, the belongings he had, the job he had, and to, to expand the kingdom of God. He just started living intentionally. But then secondly, he went through a transformation of becoming a supporter, looking at how he can support those who are out, who have gone, like with Paul. And then third, Barnabas then stepped into a vocational calling himself and became a missionary. In my last few minutes... I want to talk about you and me and the global church. Now let's talk about the church across the world. There are three different kinds of people in this room today that are called to care about the global church. Let's talk to the first group. Here's the first invitation. I want to invite some of you in this room to come. Live sent with us. We are a family of God who get it really wrong all the time. Guess what? We're sinners. And we mess up a lot. But we would love for you to come and be part of our family and then live sent to go out and expand the kingdom of God. So what we're saying is this. Maybe you've been attending for some time now. Maybe you've been attending College Heights, church shopping, Maybe you've been learning a lot about the gospel. It is time for you now to step into a sent lifestyle where you look at your resources, you look at your relationships, you look at where your sphere of influences lie, and you say, Jesus, how do you want to send me? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, as Samuel says in the Old Testament. That's the first one. Second group of people. Perhaps you are in. You, uh, you are in the family. You believe in Jesus. You believe in God. And you're, you've even, you live sent. You, you try to share Jesus with your coworkers. You are raising your kids in a godly way. You, you're sent. But it's time for you to start supporting those who've gone. I'm going to get very literal and practical. There are people who are spreading the gospel of Jesus around the globe. And it is time for you to look at your bank account. And say, with what I have in my bank account, am I supporting the mission of Jesus to expand around the globe? I need to look into my resources and give. I'm not saying, and put it in the offering box back there. I am saying, give to a missionary who is going and help them 
accomplish the mission of Jesus. I'm saying, do you and your family have built into your prayer life the names of people who are out on the front lines expanding the kingdom of God? And do you pray for them by name on a regular basis? Are there pictures on your refrigerator? Are you a supporter? Are you in contact and communication with someone who is gone? But then I want to talk to a third group in the room today. And it may be the smallest group, maybe. There are some of you in this room today who have had the Holy Spirit nudge your heart and say, I want you to go. I want you to go into a foreign land, leave where you are now, and go. And you have thought, maybe, but my job here, but my family, but my home, but my debt, but my whatever is anchoring me here though and all throughout scripture I see God just take people from where they are comfortable and send them into the unknown and they expand the kingdom of God and I'm talking to you right now if you have had that thought if you have had that nudge from the Holy Spirit it is time for you to stop saying well maybe and it is time for you to go okay God what does that nudge mean where are you sending me And it's time for you to take it seriously. Maybe it is time for you to go. Can I tell you what the global church is? Can I tell you what it means to live sent? It looks like Derek, who's working among the Taidan people, teaching them English and teaching them the way to Jesus. It's Brandon and Amanda who left College Heights in a good way. College Heights walked them through this decision. Brandon and Amanda left just a few months ago to work with a neighborhood church plant in Royal Heights. That's thinking about the global church. That's going. It's partnering with organizations like Good News Productions International to reach people with the gospel through media in multiple countries around the globe. Caring about the global church, loving Jesus, having him redirect your heart so your priorities are his priorities, so you live more in the kingdom than you even live in your own blood family. It's crying in this very room as we have said goodbye to families, sons, daughters, grandchildren, so that they can take the gospel message to people in North Africa and Eastern Europe and the Arab Gulf. We will be a place that cares about the global church because we love Jesus and because we want to abide in his presence like Mary. And we want to be brothers and sisters with each other, no matter how hard and messy that may become. And we want to let go of worrying about the business of life and seeking the business of the kingdom. So how will you live sent? What step will you take? Just to become more intentional with your waking hours? To start supporting someone who is gone? Or to actually leave and go and have us behind you praying, supporting, and lifting you up to the Father? Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your church. I pray, dear Father, whatever happens in in the elections, whatever happens in our country, 
I pray that you strengthen our kingdom, the kingdom that is made in your blood. And I pray that we can proclaim you boldly and plainly to all nations. And I pray, dear Father, that you spread your hope to the entire world, that people from all cultures and backgrounds and walks of life will proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that we are saved by his grace. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.